Remain standing, and I will read from Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth." And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet thus, this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea." You may be seated. Well, good morning. Greetings from Peckway Church. It's good to be here with you all this morning, worshiping together. I find it uh, was an encouraging morning so far in the uh, teaching of the Sunday school. I really enjoyed the lesson this morning. And uh, Aaron, in the leading out there, thank you for that. <clears throat> we are, uh, not all of us are here today. I went here uh, just with three of the boys. We had a sick uh, child this morning, so uh, my wife stayed at home with several of the children. Um, for a message this morning, I've chosen to preach on uh, a message on the Holy Spirit. Um, I've been going through a series of messages at Peckway, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And as we were talking about that here this morning, um, uh, I understood that you would have had some sermons on the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that if I um, say something out of line that I would be able to be corrected. I'm sure about that. Um, for the text this morning that uh, uh, 
that was read, we are going to be ending there. We're going to start in the Gospels to see a little bit what, the God, what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. Maybe, if you will, a brief introduction into the Holy Spirit and uh, what the Holy Spirit is and who he is. Seems like every time I get up to preach, my heart rate goes up. And so if you see me shaking a little bit, it's because my heart rate is up. But I'm okay with that because I think there's actually a certain uh, health benefit to that, I've found. I think it helps to clean out the arteries. And so, let's proceed into the sermon here this morning. Jesus, what did Jesus have to say about the Holy Spirit? That's the question. What did Jesus have to say about the Holy Spirit? After all, if there's anyone who could give us a clear understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, it would be Christ himself. In, verse, in chapter 14 of John, and you don't need to turn there. Later we'll be turning to John chapter 16. But in chapter 14 of John, we see here in verse 16, he refers to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And he says here, I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I believe this is the first time that Jesus mentioned to the disciples that they are going to be receiving somebody other than him in, a, in the very near future. And later he goes and talks about him being the spirit of truth. And, uh, but let's move on into verse chapter 16 of John. The Gospel of John chapter 16. What I'd like to look at here for a moment is the Holy Spirit, or, or maybe what I'd like for you to consider, is the Holy Spirit a person or is he merely a force in our lives? Is the Holy Spirit merely a force as a spirit or is he a person? Let's look at John chapter 16, verses 7. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice how Jesus, the language that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. He uses a pronoun. He's saying he as, a, I believe, as a person. I believe scripture teaches us that this, the, the third person in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. We have a triune God. We have the Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And there are three separate people, I believe. Scripture teaches us that. And yet, they work in tri-unity. And I can't cover this. I can't exhaust this study this morning. I can merely scratch the surface in what we're, what we're studying here this morning in relation to the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. 
Interesting, in verse 7, Jesus says, it's expedient for me to go. Why did he say that? Why was it expedient that Jesus should go? He tells us later on why it was expedient for him to go. Is it possible, as I considered this thought, why was it expedient? In other words, why was it important for Jesus to go? I believe scripture teaches us here that it was important that Jesus left because when Jesus was here, he was here as a person. And he was not, he chose not to be omnipresent. He could have been omnipresent, but he chose not to be, confined himself into the human body, and was not everywhere at the same time. I believe that is one of the reasons why it was important for Jesus to go so that the Holy Spirit could come and minister. You see, it would be like this morning, if Jesus was still here in a physical sense, then he could only be at Weavertown this morning. But since Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit down, we believe that he is here. I also believe he is at Peckway this morning and at Mine Road, and at Bethel. He can be everywhere at the same time, because he's omnipresent now, through the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful truth. And as I, as I looked at this, yes, that's why it was expedient for Jesus to go. He also told them that it is expedient for him to go, because he has a lot of things he needs to teach them, but time will not allow it right now. But when the Comforter comes, he will teach you. Into all truth. <clears throat> Verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you. But you cannot bear them now. Then in verse 13 he says, how, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. As we look at the, the uh, uh, story that was read, the narrative that was read this morning in chap Acts chapter 8, we see a demonstration of the Holy Spirit at work in the narrative. And I'd like to look at that as we go through here this morning. Uh, we'll kind of shift gears here a little bit and move on over into Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Philip here was maybe just a bit of context before we get into the narrative here this morning. In Acts chapter 8, in the beginning of the chapter, we see that there was persecution was starting to spread in the churches. This was the very early stages of the church. Um, the uh, believers were gathered in Jerusalem, mostly, I believe, concentrated in Jerusalem. And um, they have the account there where uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, or Peter and John were cast into prison because they were preaching in the, uh, in the temple there. And then um, a little later on, uh, we have Stephen preach the message. And Stephen being the first Christian martyr. And I believe at that point in time, persecution was intensifying with the believers in Jerusalem. And as that intensified, it spread them out. 
And we'll look at that a little more as we go through the sermon here this morning. But just to get a bit of the context of what happened just prior to Philip's event. They were being persecuted and spread out. And early in chapter 8 there we see that Philip was, um, Philip went to the city of Samaria. And we also see here in, uh, at the end, in, in Stephen Stoning, we saw uh, Saul, who was later Paul. We saw him uh, holding the coats and encouraging the stoning. Stone this guy. He was, he was on board with this persecution. Saul was one that was breathing. Uh, it says in verse 3, And Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Saul was on a mission. And part of his mission was, was well, he was persecuting the church. But as a result of that, they were spreading. It's a beautiful thing how God works in situations like that. They were spreading out. <clears throat> Verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Preaching the word. These people couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I think it was Peter... Um, when they asked him to quit talking about Jesus, he says, ought we to obey God rather than man? Or we ought to obey God rather than man. I'm sorry. These men were on fire to spread the word. And it was happening. Then we're introduced to this man by the name of Philip. Here, it says he went to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Some takeaways that I see in this, in this narrative, in this story, it starts in verse 5, uh, the, the story of Philip, and ends at verse 40. But some takeaways that I see in this narrative, and we'll go through this as Philip's obedience. I'd like to look at uh, uh, just a little bit at Philip's obedience to the Holy Spirit. And we'll see how the Holy Spirit fleshed out uh, through, through Philip in this narrative. The second thing I see, I see Philip's faith coming through. And then we also see God's hand at work in this narrative. We see God working all things together. Philip's obedience. Verse 8. I'm sorry. In verse 5 we see, Then then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Who was the them that that, that Philip was preaching to here? Who was the them? It says, And as Philip was preaching, And the people with one accord... Gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. As I think about this story, and you think about Philip being in Samaria, and um, 
Was he preaching to a few people? What was Samaria anyway? Who was there? Let's go on down further. In, uh, in verse 9 we see there was a certain man called Simon who was uh, in the city and he had a great following of people according to verse um, According to verse uh, 12, uh, all the people started following Philip. When they believed Philip, they meaning uh, the people of Samaria. And I like to think this was quite a group of people. I like to think, it, I, I don't know, was it a thousand? Was it a hundred? Several hundred? We don't know for sure. But it was a group of people anyway. And it was big enough... A big enough of a movement that word came back to Jerusalem. And the apostles heard, got wind, that there was things going on in Samaria. People were starting to follow Christ in Samaria. And so they sent uh, Peter and John down to see what was going on in Samaria. And when Peter and John came down, it says they prayed for them and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter, I mean, sorry, Philip. Just going out preaching. Now, if I was Philip here, I had to do some imagining, I must say, as I looked at this, and you just start to, your mind starts to wonder. There's a lot of detail here that isn't given in Scripture, but you just have to imagine. What was this like? Philip had went down to Samaria. He was preaching to the crowds. People were responding. I'm assuming they were hearing things of God and were responding to that. Philip found his call, you could say. As he's preaching, people are hearing him, they're being baptized. Philip found his call. Verse 26, though, tells us that in spite of all this, the angel came to Philip and he said, Go to the desert. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way, there's a key, that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, would you rather preach to the crowds or go to the desert? You see, Philip, he was... There's nothing to suggest here, I believe, that Philip wouldn't have found this to be a little bit of a challenge in his life. After all, he was preaching to the crowds. People were being baptized. Even the disciples came down to see what's going on. And they blessed the work. Now God says, go to the desert. Go to the desert? You mean like, just 
God didn't give him many details, did he? He just said, go to the desert. Where was this place anyway? I found myself, my imaginations were running wild, and I said, okay, so where was this anyway? Gaza, it says, says where he was supposed to go, or, or not actually a specific place. He wasn't supposed to go to Gaza, right? It says, arise and go toward the south, unto the way, meaning a path or a road or whatever it is, that goeth down from Jerusalem toward Gaza. So this was a desert place somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza. And I looked on the map and uh, uh, Samaria is north, northeast of Jerusalem, if I, ha- if I looked correctly. And Gaza is southwest of Jerusalem, out towards the sea. So... I'm supposed to go from there to there. I did a little bit of calculation. So how far is that? That's about 75 miles. Is about as close as I could get. Roundabout. We don't know for sure. Now, did he say get a plane, fly it out? No. Get a taxi? No. No taxis, probably not. About a donkey? Probably not a donkey. Just go. So if you would walk... It would be like walking from here to Harrisburg or maybe somewhere around there, like north of Harrisburg. Oh, and by the way, go to the state game lines along this certain path northeast of Harrisburg. Just go there. My first question would be, well, what am I supposed to do when I get there? God didn't tell him. He said, go there. I, I am one that likes structure. I like to know what's going to happen when I get there. What am I supposed to do? <clears throat> or maybe we would get on an airplane and take a two-day journey today. Or maybe go in a car and take a two-day journey. Maybe that would be more practical than walking to Harrisburg. Either way, it's a two-day journey to get to where Philip is going to go. Philip was simply obedient to the call and went. And I don't have time to get into this morning the, the importance of the church body as it relates to this. But I believe that is important in mission work and things like that. But Philip was simply obedient and went. It was critically important for Philip to be obedient in this situation. Why? Because God was positioning Philip so he could be useful for God's purposes. Think about the narrative. Think about what, he, what was read here this morning, what Nate read for us. We get to look at this from this side of history. We look back on this and we can see exactly all the details that had to line up. And we see that, we see that they lined up. Philip didn't see that. He only seen what was in front of him. And what was in front of him when God called him was people responding to his message in Samaria. <clears throat> I 
You see, the circumstances in Philip's life and the circumstances that the church was facing cannot be viewed in isolation from what was about to unfold here in this story. The circumstances in Philip's life and the circumstances that the church was facing could not be viewed in isolation from what was about to unfold here in this narrative. You know, when I tend to work from Epic Center here, I almost inevitably will get it wrong. Philip could have said, I think I found my call. I, I am content preaching to the people in Samaria. If Philip would have done that, then this man, eunuch, God could have called someone else, sure. But more than likely, this man, this eunuch, would have never been evangelized. Because Philip chose, would have chosen not to go. And if I look at the narrative, I think Philip would have had some reason to stay. <clears throat> when I work from Epic Center here, I almost inevitably will get it wrong. After all, circumstances in life have very little to do with me at all. It has much more to do with what God is trying to accomplish through me and through his people. Not only is God the creator of the universe, not only is he omnipotent, he can be everywhere at the same time, not only is he infinite, meaning he has no bounds, he isn't bound to buildings, he isn't bound to space, he isn't bound to time, He is interested in each one of our lives. And do we really believe that God is at work in our lives, in the everyday situations and circumstances in our life? Philip didn't find himself here by chance. Philip wasn't here by chance. This was God at work. This was God at work, working all things together. <clears throat> God was at work, orchestrating this event. Through the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, I also find myself sometimes having a bend in the road. Where you think that I kind of know which direction I'm going. And you feel the call in God's life or in your life from God. And then there can be a bend in the road. And you're not quite sure what's coming next. Sometimes it can be a health related things. Where you have a health situation come up that was totally unexpected. And all of a sudden, there's a bend in the road. 
This is where I see Philip's faith coming in. Philip said, I'm going to follow. I'm going to do. Did God tell Philip, go to the desert? And when you get to the desert, there's going to be a eunuch there. And he's going to be riding on a chariot. And he's going to be reading from prophet Isaiah. No. He just said, go to the desert. And Philip went. Philip had faith without knowing the ending. An angel spoke to him. And he simply believed that he was supposed to go to this path in the desert. In the way from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip didn't know that there was a eunuch that was going to be traveling in a chariot going down this path from Jerusalem. Who was just at Jerusalem worshiping. What made this eunuch come to Jerusalem? Why was there a eunuch from Ethiopia all the way down south from Egypt come all the way up to Jerusalem to worship? I don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us those details. Could it be that Queen Sheba, Queen Sheba was, by the way, from that same area, in or about the same area. Could it be that had some influence? I don't know. Or maybe he was trying to have some political input into Jerusalem. It says he came to worship, but maybe he was, had some connections otherwise. We don't know. Nonetheless, this eunuch was come from Ethiopia. Now, it also tells us here a little bit about the eunuch. It says he had great authority. He was under Queen Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man would have been right next in line to the queen herself. This man was her treasurer. He kept track of all her finances. He tra- in fact, he kept track of the country's finances. This was the secretary of state or somebody of really high in political importance in the Ethiopian area. It says he had charge over all her treasure and was come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, again, I don't want this to be the Sunday morning of my imaginations just running wild, but as you think about this man coming to Jerusalem of this importance, do you think he came by himself? Did he just travel by himself with a donkey and a cart? Probably not. He probably had security guards and bodyguards with him, maybe even a whole entourage of people with him, front and back. I like to think that's the way it would have panned out here. He had people with him. And he was reading from prophet Isaiah. Now Philip finds himself here in the desert. Now he's along the path in the desert. He's saying, now what do I do? Now what do I do? How long was he there? I don't know. It took him two days to get there approximately. And he's there and he said, now what? This, and soon he hears this pat, 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 pat. Here comes a, here comes a uh, chariot. Oh, and a whole group of people with him. And the spirit told Philip here, he says, go, go see that man. There's your man. Go close by. Maybe Philip goes running over beside the chariot. And as he's running along the chariot, 
he hears this man and he's reading from prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah. And Philip's running alongside the chariot and he says, hey, you understand what you're reading? Now, Philip, this bearded Jewish person, I'm assuming, running alongside the chariot of such a man of importance. And you say, hey, you know what you're reading? I mean, this man is important up here. Do you just ask a guy in a chariot, hey, you don't understand what you're reading? But Philip did. Philip was obedient to the Spirit. And this guy, he apparently wasn't one who had a fat head or he would have said, I got this. Go on your way. This man was a seeker. And he said to Philip, come on up. And he comes in the chariot and he says, I, I can't, this is just mind-boggling. Here's a man from a total, complete stranger, has a, he's reading from prophet Isaiah. Not, you know, so, okay, so that's one thing. But even, he, he has a copy of scripture. I mean, back then, not just anybody had a copy of scripture. This wasn't, usually that was reserved to the synagogues had the copies of the scriptures and those who were important. But this man had a copy of scripture. And not only that, he's reading from prophet Isaiah. What better passage to preach Christ from than this passage? As he run alongside, he said, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. What better passage to preach, to preach Christ from? Do you really believe in chance? I believe things happen to Christians and non-Christians alike. Good things and bad things. In that sense, chance happens to everyone. But do you believe that this occurrence was a chance occurrence? Did this just happen, so to speak? We can look back and we can clearly see how God was orchestrating this event to take place. And what better passage to preach Christ from than to preach from the prophet Isaiah when he says he was led as a sheep to slaughter like a lamb. Dawn before his shear, so openeth he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, I pray thee, whom speaketh this prophet of? Of himself or of someone else? God was at work. Maybe this prophet, maybe this eunuch was up in Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, one of the believers in Jerusalem pointed him to this prophet Isaiah and said, if you want to find God, read prophet Isaiah. And then maybe later, we know that later Philip was at the right place. God had ordered his steps, that he was right at the right place, that when this eunuch comes along, he joins himself to the chariot and preaches Christ to him. I like to think that when Philip, or I'm sorry, when the eunuch went back, when the unit went back, I like to think he started a little Bible study group. We don't know. 
We don't know. This is the last we read of the eunuch after he was baptized. But I think that he went back and he would have started a little Bible study group. After all, anybody that was with him would have seen him getting completely drenched in the water as he gave himself to Christ. I like to think that he would have went back, started a Bible study, It's also interesting to note that this passage of scripture, at this point in time in history, there was not one thing written in the New Testament as of now. I also wondered, did this eunuch later have the opportunity to read some of Paul's letters and some of the other other apostles' writings? We don't know. Again, my imagination just running. I like to think, you know, have you ever wondered what you're going to do in eternity? One of the things that I think that I would like to do when I get there is I'd like to hunt this eunuch down. And just have a little more detail. Whether it matters or not, I don't know. But it'd just be interesting to know. I like to think that there was a church that would have got established from this eunuch. this eunuch had an inquiring mind and an open heart and Philip was there with a ready answer verse 35 tells us then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus he preached unto him Christ A few closing thoughts here. Look at the response and the results of Philip's message. When Philip preached the message, what was the response? The response was the same in this narrative. The response was the same in both Samaria and in the eunuch. 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. That's the response. I'm sorry. No, that I got ahead of myself there. Verse 12, we see the response. When they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were, both, they were baptized, both men and women. The response was the same with the eunuch. When the eunuch heard the gospel, he, was, he believed and was baptized. The response was the same. Wherever Philip went, the response was the same. The result was also the same in both instances. In verse 8, we see there was great joy in that city. The first time in Samaria when Peter was, I'm sorry, when Philip was preaching in Samaria, the, the, the response was the same. Or the result of his message was the same. There was great joy. And we see in, um, after the eunuch was baptized, excuse me, he went on his way rejoicing. Philip had a message of hope. 
wherever he went, the message he preached caused people to rejoice. That's a wonderful truth for us to think about. I believe the message is clear from this narrative. When there is an individual walking in obedience to God and yielding to the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom will be advanced. You see, I personally believe it isn't so much about what I stand up here and preach that changes the world or that that, uh, has an impact on... Sure, that has an impact and that has its place. But more than that, it's when individual Christians, as you go from here out into the society that you find yourself in, that is where the impact is made. This is what Philip was doing. Christians in cars, as you go your way, at work, maybe you're at work, and there's a person who needs encouragement there. There's your ministry. Be the Philip. Yield to the Holy Spirit and minister. Many times, I go flying right through it, and I forget. Maybe you find yourself in the grocery store and you have a cart full of stuff and you realize it's going to take you a little bit of time to check out. And you're walking down the cash register aisle and you find the shortest line. Ah, get there. Just so it happens, that line has the slowest clerk. And the person before you in the line is just full of drama. You see, did God order those steps? Was he at work? Are you there for a reason, maybe? Maybe the clerk needs some encouragement. Or maybe the mom with the unruly children needs some encouragement. Do you really believe in chance? Or do you believe that God is at work in every circumstance that you find yourself in? The narrative here has a rather interesting ending. And I want to close with this here this morning. It says, Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. <laughs> Philip just can't stop. He just keeps preaching wherever he goes. He's preaching the message. Interestingly, this time he didn't have to walk. It says he found himself in Azotus. Philip went from baptizing the eunuch, and he gets up, and he finds himself in Azotus. Wow, fast ride. No two-day journey this time. It's amazing. And he preached in all the cities as he went. Let your message be one of hope this week as you interact with the people around you, whether it's at work, in a grocery store line, wherever you find yourself. I believe God has is at work in our lives if we allow him to work through us. Shall we kneel together for prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for this wonderful Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that's new every day. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this narrative, this story of Philip and eunuch. 
I pray that you would uh, continue to do a work in our lives. Help us to be willing servants of your gospel message. Pray for this congregation now. Pray a blessing on each one here. And may you guide and direct now in Jesus' name. Amen.